All right, welcome again to H2O Church. It's an awesome time to be able to come together and worship. I love singing those songs and uh, just getting in touch with what God's doing in our lives. Again, as Brian said, I'm Matt Pardee, one of the pastors in the network here, and it is always a blast to come and see what God is doing here in this awesome city, in this awesome church. Miss you guys and, uh, and love seeing you. So we are continuing this series called Miraculous, and it's leading up here to uh, Easter and, uh, and just celebrating and being re- um, remembering what God is doing in supernatural ways in the past, uh, in this present time, and what he's going to be doing. And it's just an awesome series to be uh, thinking about God's power. And as Brian shared last week, these miracles that are in the Bible, the, the miracles that happen in our lives, they are not just to focus on the miracles, they are to point us to God. They are to point us to more intimacy with Jesus. And so this story that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 8, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 8 to follow along or pull it up on the H2O app. It is another amazing story that just makes Jesus the hero, illustrates how Jesus is the hero, and, uh, and wants to do amazing things in our lives. So I have a lot to share, and it's a long passage, so let's just pray and jump right into it. God, we are here because of your incredible love, your incredible power. Lord, as we come before you and through the Spirit, just recognize glimpses of who you are. We are humbled in our hearts. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you move in greater ways in our lives than you've done before? Lord, we can be so limited in what we see of you. We can be so limited in what we expect from you. And God, give us your grace. Give us your mercy and speak to us deeply this morning. We need you to do that. We need you in every aspect of our lives. And so we ask you to do that in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke 8, there's many miraculous stories here, but we're going to focus in on this story where he heals this man that's possessed by a demon. And in Luke 8, we're going to start in verse 26. There's 13 verses that we're going to read, and let's just jump right in. Jesus and some of his disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the people in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. 
When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how God, what God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. We see Jesus's uh, amazing act in this person's life, revolutionizing this person's life. And to really understand this whole passage, I'm going to just go through several things to kind of just dive a little deeper into the passage. And the first part here is just giving you some background into what's happening. Uh, you may know that the book of Luke was directed toward the audience of the Gentile people. The book of Matthew's really uh, geared more toward the Jewish people, but in the book of uh, Luke, he's writing to a Gentile audience, and, and this story is very much like that also. First of all, when these guys go over to this city, this region called the Gerasenes, this is a Gentile nation. They've gone to this foreign place. Jesus has intentionally got his disciples into this boat, and he's leaving the people that are Jewish people, and he's saying, we're going to the Gentile people. And you know, a lot of the Jewish people at that time, they thought that, that all these words were just for them, that, that God uh, was just, as they're the chosen people, all the works of God were just for them. And Jesus says repeatedly throughout the Gospels, and this says this throughout the New Testament, that this wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentile people. Even though it's happening in this region where this demon-possessed man is in the tombs and there's pigs nearby, these were very unclean things. To the Jewish people. So a Jewish person reading this would be like, wow, why is Jesus even near this place? They were not even permitted to go to these cemeteries or to be in the presence of pigs because they were unclean. Yet we find Jesus, just like he reached out to the Samaritan woman, he's going to this place of the Gerasenes to heal this man and to be in the presence of this man. The people of this time reading Luke would be reminded that Jesus wants to impact everyone. This gospel and this good news for us today is not just for a select amount of people, but Jesus wants to do miraculous things in everyone's life. That's your first fill-in if you want to pull your handouts out and fill that in. Jesus wants to do miraculous things in your life. This might be a very new topic to you, and you're not even sure what you're thinking about us. And, and again, maybe you haven't been very, you know, expecting much of God. But God wants to do amazing supernatural things in your life. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us of this. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Every time I read that verse, Ephesians 3, it reminds me to be praying in bigger ways. You and I can be expecting God to do amazing, abundantly things beyond what we ask or think. So just a general thing for all of us here right now is that we can be asking God for more. 
And you can say that the rest of your life. There is more that God has for you. We can never think, you know, this is probably it. God's going to say no, or I'm kind of done, or I can coast in my spiritual life. I've had some supernatural things happen in my life, but, but that's about it. There is a power inside you and I, the power of God, that wants to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And so we need to be praying in that way. And we can pray in that way because of this next part. Jesus has the power to answer our prayers. Jesus has the power, this story illustrates it so clearly, that he has the power to change things in our lives, to do supernatural things, and to do miraculous things. In Luke 8, 28, back to the passage, it says, And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high guy? I beg you not to torture me. Soon as Jesus arrives on the shore, these demons inside of this man are trembling in the presence of God's power. Man, I love that. I mean, these demons were powerful, right? They subdued this man. They had power over this person, but as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, you know right away who has the power. So we see this next principle that Jesus overpowered the demons. The demons overpowered this man, therefore Jesus has more power than us, and he can help us. That is an intellectual fact that a lot of us know, but we do not live that way in all honesty. If Jesus has the power over the enemy, and the enemy has the power to wreck our lives, to ruin us, and to destroy us, that should surely change how we think and interact with God. I mean, we would all say Jesus is more powerful than us. We would say that Jesus has the power to change things, but when it comes to our our day in and day out faith and what we're praying for, Are we really believing that? Is that really affecting us? I was really convicted just doing this teaching, thinking about things in my marriage. Like, we have a great marriage, but I want God to do more. I want God to do more in my life. I want God to do more in my my wife's life. I want God to do more in my kids' lives. There's some things there in my family that I want God to change. How much am I praying for that? God has done some amazing things in our church and in our ministry, but am I really expecting him to do more? And am I really praying for that and believing God for that? We need to just come before him in this humility and just realizing, man, God, you are so powerful. And and if I'm really believing that, it is going to change how I live. It's going to change how I pray and specific things that I'm asking God to do. He is so powerful. And these people got to witness that power that it scared them. Isn't that crazy? It said the townspeople were afraid and wanted Jesus to leave. I don't know when you think of supernatural things in this whole series that we're doing. For some of you sitting there, you're like, I don't want any part of this. Maybe that's where you're at in life. Maybe you're, you're feeling some skepticism for whatever reason. Or your faith is, is limited and you're like, I'm not, I'm not believing in this stuff. That's for those other people. That's for those people that, that go to those other churches or that read those books. 
about God's you know, crazy works. But that's not for me. Matter of fact, I don't want it in my life because it scares me. And that was how these townspeople responded, some of them. They're like, we don't know what's going on, but we're afraid of it. Would you please just go away from us? And you and I have to be honest before God. We have to be able to come before God and say, God, is there anything about your power that I'm afraid of that I don't want in my life? And I need you to change me in that. I need you to change the way I think and feel about your power. Because sometimes he's going to ask us to do things or ask us to pray for things that scare the heck out of us. I know God has done that in my life. When it's, it's in my own life, weaknesses or, or sins or things in my own life that I just don't want to surrender. That I think, man, it would be miraculous if I changed in this way or in my family. Or God, I know you're doing a lot in our ministry, but what if you were to give us more? What if you were to do more for us? And even though I'm a pastor, I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I feel God asking me to pray for things that scare me, that I don't want to do. I'm like, God, I'm at the end of myself already. And then he, he responds back and says, yeah, that's exactly where I want you, at the end of yourself. This is about me. This is about my power. Don't limit me in what I want to do. And it convicts me. To not be afraid. Here it is in that passage again. It says, When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet. This guy is at his feet, worshiping. He's dressed. That's cool. He's not naked anymore. Okay? This guy was known for just running around crazy and naked. <laughs> it's wild. He's in his right mind. And you would think they would be like, this is awesome. Praise the Lord for this guy. He's not running around naked anymore. This is good for the whole town. You know? He's healed. This is beautiful. But most of them did not rejoice over it. They wanted no part of it because they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. Just go away. We don't want this. Do you and I honestly want supernatural things to happen in our lives? That's, that's a deep prayer issue between you and God. God, do I believe you? Do I want this in my life? Do I trust you enough to pray for these things? The next fill-in is that we can be overly skeptical or fearful when it comes to the supernatural. We can be overly skeptical or fearful when it comes to the supernatural. I loved what Brian shared last week that, you know, there's a lot of crazy things happening out there that claim to be miracles that maybe are not of God. And there's a lot of, of, of false theology that's out there in this world. That's a fact. But you and I don't have to let that diminish what we believe in God we don't have to let the pendulum swing go to the other way where we're just not expecting anything of God when I think of this skepticalness or this this fear I think of a really specific 
supernatural event that happened in my own life. This was about 10 years ago. And um, one of the pastors in our network, he and his wife were expecting a baby. And uh, we went over to their house for this party, and we were just kind of celebrating all that God was doing in their lives. And, and they were getting the, the, the bedroom ready for this new baby. It was their first child. And uh, we just all went upstairs, and we were just looking at the crib and the decorations and all the things, and all the girls were really into it. And the guys were like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's a beautiful room. And uh, I had, I cannot say it any other way, but a supernatural experience. There was about 10 or 15 of us in this room, and I felt God imposing upon me, you need to pray for this baby right now. And if you have ever had something like that, your first, and, and I hate that I say this, but my first thought is just skepticism. It's like, oh, what the heck was that? That wasn't God. That was just me, and I, and I blew it off. And they're all still chit-chatting, and I'm just feeling this welling up inside of me. God saying, you need to pray for this baby right now, or this is going to be an empty crib. It was like that clear. And I was like starting to get freaked out. I still didn't really say anything. A third time, it was like, we need to pray right now. And they were talking about all kinds of other things, and I just was really weird and awkward. And I was like, guys, we need to pray right now. And everybody's like, okay. You know, it's just a very awkward transition. And I just started praying, and I didn't want to make it weird. I was just kind of praying for the overall health, and I just started crying. And the more I prayed, the more I cried. And we got done, and, and people, oh, a couple people prayed and said amen, and, and they went downstairs, and it was awkward. And I went into the bathroom, and I just started weeping. And I remember, like it was yesterday, looking in the mirror like, what is going on? Stop crying. And there was just tears and snot pouring out of my nose. It was that clear of a supernatural thing. It was almost like I was a bystander watching like what was going on. And it took me a while to compose myself, and I came downstairs. A couple weeks later, this pastor's wife went for her normal checkup, and the doctor said, the baby's heartbeat is dropping to a dangerous rate, and we need to do an emergency C-section right now. And he called us and just said, the baby's in trouble. Just everybody pray. And they did this C-section, and the umbilical cord was wrapped around this baby's neck, and he was choking, and they saved the baby, and we rejoiced. That, that kid's 10 years old now and healthy. And I was just amazed. I was like, whoa. God, what did you just do? And it was such this overwhelming thing of God and his mercy. Like Brian shared last week about God just speaking. And you go in and you find this golf tee in a child's mouth. And you're just like, what is going on? And you just feel like this bystander of like God's amazing power. And I am sure that is the kind of experience that these people had, seeing of this, this demon-possessed man being cured. And when I experienced that kind of thing, man, I felt so thankful. I just felt thankful before a powerful, holy God. And I'm sure this, this healed man felt that way too. The healed man was thankful. 
And he wanted to be close to Jesus. You see, supernatural things and miraculous things bring us closer to Jesus. They bring intimacy. After that experience with that, with that couple, I just wanted to be more aware of what God was doing. I wanted my ears to be more sensitive to what God was doing in this world and really listen to him and be attentive to the direction that he gives and not be someone that's like pushing that away in skepticism. The next verse says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. This man was longing to be with Jesus. This man was desperate for God. And we need to be desperate for God too. As you're just thinking through areas in your own life that you need healing, that you need God to change you. Again, you know, it's not like many of us are, are running around the cemeteries naked. I doubt anybody here has ever done something like that. Maybe a couple of you have, I don't know. But we have things. You and I have things. You know, this passage in Luke 8 is in Mark and Matthew, the same story. And it gives a little bit more nuance and it gives a little bit more um, uh, detail of what's going on. This is from Mark 5, the same story. This, this demon-possessed man had often been bound with shackles and chains. He was so violent that when people would come by, he would attack them. He was so violent that people couldn't go near him, so they would put shackles and chains on this man. And the chains had been torn apart by him. He was powerful. And the shackles broke into pieces, pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Man, this man was suffering. Maybe you're suffering in some way. Maybe you tend to be violent when you're angry. Maybe you and I are going through things that we feel out of control. Even if we were shackled and chained, we can't stop some of the behaviors that are going on in our lives. We feel hopeless. You know, I think about where this guy's parents were. He was so alone. I thought, where, where's his family to help him? And maybe they felt powerless. You know, sometimes for the, the city people, as you're raising your family, it, it's a time of, of more than ever in your life where just raising kids, you feel so powerless at times. You think, man, I really want to help them. I want this for them. I want God to do this for them. And at times you can feel very powerless. This man was crying and this man was cutting himself. I think about the people that I've interacted with that, that cut themselves and what's going on in their lives. It's, a, it's amazing that 2,000 years ago this was happening. This man had so much deep pain going on that he was taking sharp stones and cutting himself. I remember years back when Mary Lynn and I were uh, in our kitchen one day ministering to this girl and we could tell something was wrong with her and, and, and she was just really disturbed and she was kind of being open and sharing but we weren't really having a breakthrough and we said to her like, man, is there anything else going on in your life? Like, is there anything going on in your life that you've never told anybody? And she just got really quiet and said, I've been cutting myself. And I just feel so alone. And we tried to love on her and encourage her. And the crazy thing was like, 
two weeks later. Again, this, this does not happen. This is not the normal thing in my ministry. But about two weeks later, another girl came to our house. She was struggling. We started drawing her out. And she said to us the exact words, I'm cutting myself and I feel so alone. And Mary Lynn and I were just looking at each other like, what's going on? A few weeks later, a third girl came to our house and said, I'm cutting myself and I feel so alone. And it was God just saying, you need to get these girls together now. And we called them and we pulled them together and they started to minister to each other and pray for each other and change. And I saw God transforming their lives through nothing that we were doing, just them getting together, sharing and praying for each other. It was miraculous. It was amazing. And these girls have really come a long way in their walk with God and overcoming that. We need God so desperately. And just like this man was there suffering alone, it said the demons would push him to solitary places. The enemy was pushing him to aloneness so that no one would help him. We can feel like that. We can feel so alone. And we need God to come in and do something before the enemy destroys us because the enemy wants to destroy us. And we need God to intervene. That's your last fill-in. The enemy wants to destroy you. And we need God to intervene. You know, as you're thinking about your own prayer life, I want you to look at this list that we have up here of the requests. There was several requests in this section. In this story, there's a repeated pattern of asking, begging, and just entreating the Lord in the, different, in the different translations of this story and the different uh, the ways that it shows up in Matthew and Mark, the theme through this is there's, there's this begging going on. And here's what's going on. The demons were begging for something. Leave us alone. We recognize your power. Leave us alone. The townspeople begged and asked Jesus, please leave us alone. Go away from here. But the healed man was the only one begging Jesus for the opposite. Would you come and, and, and let me follow you? Can I be with you? Please let me jump in that boat with you to be with you. So there's different responses from these people and different requests going on. And it really made me think as I was praying through this, and I want you to think about this, is, is how are you requesting things from God? Do you long for the supernatural? in your life or do you avoid it are you afraid of it if others were to just examine your prayer life if they were just observing you and your day in and day out requests of God would people say of you I am a person that's begging God to be in my life and to help me and to do great things or if they watched your prayer life would they say I don't want that I don't want to go there. I don't want these things happening because I just want to do it on my own or I'm afraid. You see, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells us we are over our heads if we try to do this alone. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is such an important passage for our spiritual outlook on life. We think that our enemies are physical, in the flesh and in the blood, people, circumstances, things of this world. That's not the case. We need the mighty power of God and we need the armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes because we're struggling against the rulers. These are spiritual rulers against the spiritual authorities that are let loose on this earth for a certain amount of time, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces that are happening in the spiritual realms. And so there is a spiritual war going on around us, whether you admit it or not. Whether you want to be in that or not, there is a spiritual war going on, and we need God. We need to be aware of what's going on. So number one, just in applications as we wrap this up. Number one is we need to expect supernatural things from a powerful God. Do you know that even though God has done great things and supernatural things in my life, there are still times in my life where I don't want to expect anymore. I want to coast. I want to be left alone. I struggle with that. There are times where I don't want supernatural things to happen because I'm just disappointed in what might not be answered. I don't want to ask for supernatural things or, or if supernatural things happen and I just don't know what to do with it, I can feel discouraged. And it's challenging to me and I hope it's challenging to you that it is not our job to limit God. It is not your job to tell God what he's not going to do. We can't think about praying and just say like, you know what, God, you're not going to answer that one, so I'm not going to pray it. It is not our job to tell God what he's going to answer or not. Our role is to expect. Our role is to be faithful and to ask for it and to pray big things for ourselves, our marriages, our relationships, our family, our church, our city, big things. Expect big things. And if God doesn't come through and do that for whatever reason, that's not on us. That's His sovereignty. He knows what He's doing. But our part is to be faithful and ask. The second thing that really challenged me in this scripture for an application for us is to consider how the enemy might be working in our lives. I don't know if this is a big thing to you, but... The enemy is working in your life. That's crazy sobering to me. As we just read in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says that the devil is scheming against us. If you've never considered this before, I encourage you to pray about this. And imagine the demons and Satan having a meeting. Okay, Play this out in your mind. They're having a board meeting. They're sitting around the table having a meeting and they're scheming. 
And they have a dry erase board. And they write your name on the top of that dry erase board. And they say, how are we going to get them? What's our plan to take this person down? I believe that that's happening for every one of us. Matt Pardee, how are we going to get him? Let's get his kids. Let's hit that father wound that he has. Let's hit that hard. Maybe he'll quit. Maybe we'll attack this or that or that. And they're scheming to derail us. They're scheming to get you to say, God's not there. This is too hard. I don't want this. I want to quit. I'm going to take my talents. I'm going to take the gifts that God's given me. And I'm going to bury them because I don't want to play anymore. That's what they're scheming to do against you. And if you pray that before God and say, God, what's the board meeting about me? What are they saying about me? He's going to tell you. He's going to give you specific insight into how the enemy is going to attack you so that you might be warned. Just like he spoke to me and said, I want to warn you that this baby might not make it. And I want you to do something in the heavenly realms and pray to spare that life. He's going to speak to you and say, here's how they're going to try to get you. Don't let them. Come to me. Be desperate for me so that you are not destroyed by him. And thirdly, lastly, When God does these awesome things for us, and I hope you have that list in your mind of the supernatural things that he's done for you, we are required to speak of it. We are required to talk to one another about it. And don't be overly skeptical. Don't just chalk it up to coincidence. Give God the glory that's due him. Speak of God's miraculous work to your, in your life, to your family and friends, to proclaim what God has done. Just like he said to this guy, again in Mark 5, it's, it's phrased a little differently. This guy said, Jesus, I want to be with you. And I'm sure Jesus affirmed him and said, yeah, I know. I know you want to be in this boat right now. Jesus knows I'm going to be with you the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit's going to come into you. But I got a mission for you right now. Be great to have you right in this boat. But what I want you to do is go home right now. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I love this passage. In this other chapter here in Mark, it says he went to these 10 cities. That's what the Decapolis is. It's a region. This guy on day one became an evangelist for Jesus. No training, no tracks, no classes, no Romans road, no bridge diagram. Go and tell people what I did for you. And he did it. He went back. He told his family. He told his friends. He went through this whole region. Anybody that would listen to him, you are not going to believe what Jesus did for me. You remember me? I'm the naked guy. I'm the naked, crazy guy. They're like, oh, wow, yeah, you are. You look different. You look different with clothes on. And he told them the great things that Jesus did. And what was the response? They marveled. They marveled at Jesus' work. If you allow this in your life and you tell people about it, they're going to be moved. They're going to be affected by your story. 
So be bold and, and don't be timid with that because God wants to work through us. Let's pray.